0: Hello and welcome to the Business Beyond Limits podcast with me, Jason Bradbury. And me, Stuart Witts. Hi, oh, Stuart. Hello, Jason. Oh, it's great to have you next to me, Good buddy. To My little techie wingman. Yeah, oh, yes, a bit, a bit like
1: Goose in Top
0: Gun. The ugly one, you mean? Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> the, the different one. The better pilot, oh, I think, I'm actually. i so mean. <laughs> where they've been to war, you and I have been to loads of expos. Absolutely, yes, which is kind of the same thing. <laughs> it is. Actually, yeah. So, Stuart and I are tech buddies. We love technology. We often do... Uh, youtube and social media videos together and really do go to expos and investigate our collective 80s past but now we're bringing it right up to the minute in this series where we're answering some of the big questions being asked about technology today including internet of things and asking what it all means for the future of business in this episode we're
1: looking at robots yes Not the type that will take over the world,
0: but the useful ones. We'll be hearing from those who are creating robots to act as skilled workers, as well as from people whose jobs and indeed lives are being transformed by them. This podcast is brought to you by Vodafone Business, connecting the businesses of the UK to help them unlock their potential. Find out how at Vodafone.co.uk slash business. So come on, Stuart, what do you think of when the topic of robots is raised? Well, for me,
1: obviously, as an 80s child... I'm thinking Johnny Five. No disassemble Johnny Five.
0: Careful with the imposition. It works in your head. It works in my head. And then when it yeah.
1: And of course you've got Robbie from Forbidden Planet. Yes. But also, don't forget the Boston Dynamics ones where they keep kicking them now, over. I'm okay. so <laughs> pleased that you mentioned
0: that. There is a problem at Boston Dynamics. There is definitely it? a problem there. So in case you're not familiar with this, you could Google YouTube this. Uh, Boston Dynamics is a robotic development company, and they make robots in Boston, Massachusetts. They are really well known, especially on the internet, for in order in order to show you that these robots are amazing at can run and carry packs. They kick them to show how stable they, they are. They do, yes, yeah. But that it's like a horrible kind of bit where they go back in John Connor's mind in a version of Terminator and they show where the uprising began.
1: That's right. The resentment begins from yeah. that moment forward, doesn't it? I
0: resent I don't like it. And also because they look like animals, don't they? They and do. So it yeah. feels like animal cruelty to me. It very much so when they stumble. It's, it's quite uncomfortable to watch. But pop culture is full of ominous representations of robots. And of course, The Boston Dynamics example that you mentioned, Stuart, doesn't help, does it? It does not, no. That makes you think, yeah, that we're all going to get caught up in some kind of horrible Terminator future. The reality is far more mundane. Much more passive, useful skill sets are being adopted by robots that are simply making doing business easier. Now we're off to the Devonshire seaside to hear about a water-based robot. Thanks to Mr Attenborough, we all know the damage that plastic is doing to the ocean environment. And for the shipping and fishing industries, plastic and other rubbish is also damaging rudders and propellers and is a navigational hazard. Waste Shark is an amazing floating robot its creators hope will revolutionise the clean-up of our seas. Oliver Cunningham is their CCO, and he's with Georgina Carlo, the harbourmaster at Ilfracoon.
2: Well, it all started last summer. I've been in post for a year now, and last summer was absolutely glorious weather, but it was so calm as well, there was hardly any wind. So a lot of the rubbish that was coming in on the easterly stayed in the harbour. Now, I have a bylaw in this harbour that you're not allowed to jump, swim or dive. However, one morning I came in and the kids were jumping, and when I asked them why, they said it was to go and collect the rubbish. And I saw their point. What can you say? We're trying to teach our children about the environment... So I sat down and I thought about it, and had a conversation with a friend of mine who lives locally, and then she sent me a link to this waste shark, and it all went from there. Waste shark
3: is a drone for marine environments, uh, particularly urban water, you know, the, the built environment. It's a drone that clears unwanted material from the water, plastics, general trash, oil, algae, invasive plants, that sort of thing. The waste shark is approximately five feet long, so about 1.6 meters, I think, by a meter wide, uh, and about 50 centimeters deep. And it can clear half a ton of trash every day. You can give it a defined path to swim along, or you can define an area, uh, and it will it will roam randomly inside that area w- without crossing the, the virtual perimeter.
2: So right now, the RNLI, my waste shark ambassador, is carrying the shark down the slipway, ready to launch. With the configuration of the harbour, there's a tendency for rubbish to collect in certain corners, which are very hard to access. And then when the tide comes back in, it just floats and moves around, or then goes back out into the marine protection zone. And there's nothing we can do about it because we can't physically get there. Now with the shark, we can. That's the shark in the water. I'm just checking systems before we actually get her underway. And the shark is off. Got a camera at the front, so I can now look and see what she's seeing exactly. I also have the ability to get her onto the network, so I can actually guide her from my phone with a pre-programmed track. So she can actually just go around the harbour on her own, collecting the rubbish. The shark will collect anything in its path. It's been designed on the model of the whale shark, which is why it has such a big, wide-open mouth. And the internal belly, there's nothing in there. There's no moving parts. It can't harm any marine life. If accidentally a fish swims in, it will quite happily swim out again. So anything in its path, it will collect. There's a sensor inside her that when she gets to her weight limit, she actually tells me... And she will bring herself home, wherever her designated home is. It would be absolutely amazing to be able to have this connected up to 5G, because then the possibilities are endless. We have the ideas of taking her out with the boats and tracking around the coves, taking her over to Lundy Island. Because not only does she collect waste, she also collects uh, environmental data...
3: So aside from from eating its its prey its waste prey the the whale shark like the animal for which it's designed the whale shark also reads its environment so it collects data and it can collect any sort of data you want we get a lot of requests for what we call water quality so uh, this basically measures or tells you how well the marine environment can support other species so in other words yeah you know, is this a medium that can be resilient and, and diverse
4: My name's Jenny Oates and I'm the UK Sea's Program Manager for WWF. It's really important for us to understand more information about the marine environment in terms of the different types of wildlife that occur and also some of the threats to that wildlife. But there are some areas of the sea that are really difficult to reach by people, particularly if they're really far offshore. So in that sense, I think there's great potential for using robots which have an ability to transmit more data, and that means it would be able to use these robots to collect data and information about these remote areas. This kind of technology would be much cheaper and greener and more effective and potentially less disruptive Um, rather than sending out boats with people on to collect this information. Ideally, we'd like to see more of them used around the country, and so this is a really great way of addressing the threat of plastic pollution to our seas. But ultimately, the only way we can really stop the threat of plastic going into the environment is by turning off the tap on plastics, and that means stopping the source of plastics coming from the producers and retailers but the way shark's a great way of addressing the plastic that's already in our seas.
1: Wow, that was
0: amazing, Jason. She was yeah. monitoring that shark on with her a phone. phone. On a I know, it's bonkers, isn't it's amazing. it? amazing. i tell you something. I've just got back from Bali, so you know I'm a bit of a traveller. Oh, yeah. And uh, me and the kids were in Kuta, on the beach surfing, and we are wading through plastic. Oh, that's terrible. It's all Honestly, it floats there. And, and honestly, I can still feel it now, just like the slightly unsettling feeling of like strips of plastic wrapped around your biceps, around your legs, removing plastic from my face as I try and then paddle out and get a wave. It's a major issue. But it's amazing and very reassuring to hear that um, Waste Shark can remove half a ton of rubbish a day. That's incredible, isn't it? It kind of, actually kind of reminds me a little bit of Wally. <music> It is interesting. The definition of what a robot is, is a tricky one, isn't it? Do you have a definition of a robot? Well, I mean, OK, so I'm a bit of a science fiction reader and I know Asimov, you know, the famous science fiction author. He used to say, see if I can remember this. And this genuinely is not on the script. So it might not, not be accurate, but it's something like it's a machine capable of doing the work of a man or a woman. It has to have a brain and be capable of movement. And the thing that always used to make me smile about that is they've is just described the washing machine. Yes. Basically. Yes. So it's not always, you know, so a robot actually isn't what you think. So I'm guessing that maybe Asimov wouldn't maybe have envisaged waste shark. Uh, certainly not. Because no. it doesn't look like you expect. Although, but of course, now any definition of a robot has to include what that brain is. Because nowadays, because of the Internet of Things, because of the huge amounts of bandwidth available, because of the, you know, the device itself, the robot in this instance, doesn't have to have a brain as such. It can just have a really fat data connection. That's right. It can be connected to the, the cloud. But well, In fact, oh, yeah. it could be connected to AI uh, and machine learning, which, you know, are adding new layers of intelligence. So we're not looking at a machine that just follows a set of instructions. You're looking at something that, that is actually able to make decisions based not- on real, real-time information. Yeah. Slightly scary but a good thing. Think, oh yes, yeah, scary in a good way. One of the many benefits of robots is their capability to do the jobs that we can't or that we'll, you know, just make a mess of. And if you've ever had the builders in, you'll know that any way to cut down on the mess and upheaval has to be a good thing. Cubot is
1: a neat little robot that runs around spraying insulation underneath your floorboards. Nice. Chris Hamblin is the engineering manager
5: the idea for cubot actually came out from a conversation in a pub like all the best ideas and it was between an architect and a professor at imperial university and they were mentioning how no one's really looking at floors in terms of insulation so they thought well why don't we create a robotic device that can actually spray the underside of floors remotely and that's how cubot was born there are 8 million houses in the UK with suspended timber floors and it's an area that hasn't really been looked at in terms of insulating because traditional methods are very, very disruptive. You have to like rip up all of the floorboards, the people have to move out of the home. The typical heights we're working in are between about 300 millimeters up to about 600 millimeters, which is really not a nice atmosphere for a person to be working in. It's a job that humans don't want to do or actually physically can't do so the robots look a little bit like a souped up remote control car so they've got four big tires uh, which are each independently drivable which means it's able to turn on the spot it's got a spray platform with two motors so it can move in two directions to be able to carry out any spray pattern that we need to and then on the top, it's got a rotating head, which, is, which has got a main camera, which is displaying the feed back to the operator. And it's also got a laser, and, and that can spin round and create a 360 degree map of the environment. We will initially just take up a very small section of the floor to put the robot in, and then it will drive around and it will map out the underside of the floorboards. And that gives the installers a clear picture of the void. They can then plan the actual application of insulation better. Then we attach all the spray equipment and we have a van with where the materials are coming from and it's being applied through a spray gun. And then the robot again will drive around and it will be able to spray in about 25mm thick layers. And we aim to have the total insulation up to about 100mm thick a typical house will take between one and two days and that's compared to sort of more disruptive methods where you actually have to rip the floorboard up and move all the furniture can take more like between one and two weeks the robots are constantly recording lots and lots of data so we've got cameras on there, laser taking scans so we're picking up hundreds of gigabytes of data from each site that we install in and that data is really really valuable to us so 5G would enable us to actually live stream that data back to the office. So firstly, we could do things like remote access and troubleshooting on site, which would be really useful for some of our installers. As well as carrying out on the floor insulation, we're also taking data from every property. And we're hoping to build up a database of all the housing market in the UK and also in Europe and the rest of the world. And with that data, it will allow social housing to plan their stock condition improvements much better than they can at the moment. We're doing this via an app, which at the moment stores all the data offline and then uploads it online when it has a Wi-Fi connection. So when we have 5G capability, we'll be able to live stream that straight back to the office and that will make the whole collection process a lot more streamlined.
0: That was Chris Hamblin, the engineering manager at Cubot. That's a crazy one, isn't it? That's fantastic. I, I love these kind of... They're not your typical glitzy robots, but they do fantastic work. That's, yeah, uh, the really work helping. of a man or a woman. We're back to that uh, old science fiction definition. It's true, though, isn't it? I mean, that's, that is literally what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, and that's challenging. You know, it would have been a, someone with an injector thing yeah. doing that job. So, you know, there is an interesting issue there for the workplace. But you could argue that actually robots are going to free us up to do the other stuff that we're actually much better at. I think that's that's the, the hope, isn't it? That we'll the things that we're good at, the curating and all that kind of stuff, that will become more open to us. Whatever the future for the workplace, we mentioned it earlier, but it's clear uh, that robots are really going to come into their own when they're connected, okay? And 5G means lightning-fast responsiveness and being able to handle all the data they need that's the one thing that binds all of these robotic platforms and robots that we've just been listening to that's together, right a high speed connections absolutely yeah. so clearly we need to view this as an exciting development for business don't absolutely
1: we? we need to separate it from those films yeah
0: <laughs> from the Terminator yeah. absolutely
1: this podcast is being brought to you by Vodafone Business with faster speeds and more bandwidth than ever 5G is helping British businesses go beyond their limits like never before find out more at vodafone.co.uk forward slash
0: business I think we've made the case for the usefulness of robots, but this last example is a robot that is literally life-changing. Exobionics have developed an exoskeleton that can be worn by people with a range of mobility issues, particularly spinal injury, and help them
1: to walk again. As part of that, Internet of Things technology means the creators can constantly receive data, to stay on top of machine maintenance, meaning parts are replaced before they break.
0: I love it. Hobbes Rehabilitation in Winchester has been using the EXO for a number of years and it's absolutely revolutionised their physiotherapy. Louis Martinelli is one of their leading physiotherapists.
6: Part of what we do here is specialise in new technology for the people with a neurological condition, so that's sort of a head or spinal cord injury. And you're here to see the exoskeleton, and the ExoGT. And Jemima here has very kindly come in to use it. He's been using it up to sort of about three years.
7: In May 2015, a van drove head-on into our vehicle. And there was in a coma for a few days. My parents told him 5% chance of survival because just the abdominal injuries were so severe. My spinal cord got ripped. And it's completely gone at T10, which means I'm paraplegic. I used to work full time for a rider, so I was her head girl, which meant I ran her yard and looked after the main horses and the other staff, um, as well as being her second rider. So I had the opportunity to compete at the horses. Absolutely loved it. When you know they told me, "Oh, you'll never ride again," I was like, oh, "That's not happening. <laughs> I will ride," and I just had to figure out how.
6: Okay, forwards and up The exoskeleton is an external robotic device that fits around the body, a bit like a shell, that has a backpack with straps, motors on the hips and the knees, and sensors on the footplate, to basically facilitate someone to stand and step. Someone is walking, wants to improve their gait and give them a gait pattern that they can reproduce hundreds of times to learn. If they're not able to stand that well or the blood pressure is not great, you can stand and step, which is really good for your vascular health and your blood pressure. But also, tomorrow can start to control the steps by transferring her weight, getting her pelvis in the right position, which really carries over well into, into riding.
7: I can't feel the straps down my legs or on my feet. Once I get all strapped in, it's... Snug to my body and um, really supportive around the core. I don't feel it moves around me too much, which is nice. So, actually, you don't feel like you're on a huge suit, and it's not heavy either, and so you don't feel like you're clumping around anything.
6: Do the first step and then walk.
7: Uh, So we are taking one step and then balancing on that foot, rocking back onto the other without going too far and just maintaining the balance, rocking back forward and then taking another step. So it's all about stability and balance, really, and just knowing where my legs are, not putting too much weight through the crutches, so I'm not using them as much to push off, but actually trying to engage my core to bring it forward.
6: On the software here it logs everyone that's used it and they have a number therefore it remembers who's used it and what settings there are. There's a Vodafone sort of SIM card in the back of it that will then send information every time we use it back to the headquarters so they can keep an eye on making sure the motors and the sensors are at a good health. So oh, several months ago you know, the engineer sort of turns up saying oh yes you need your ankle sensors because they've had that information through the chip through the SIM card in the back.
7: So we are about to try squatting. It's all about relaxing the pelvis and rotating it to allow my knees to then relax. And this is carried over into the riding because when I ask a horse to halt, I don't want to pull back with my reins. I want to rotate my pelvis. And the first day after we tried doing the squats, I went and asked a horse to halt and I rotated my pelvis and the horse immediately stopped. Yeah, it was amazing. We're like, oh, my God, <laughs> that was easy. <laughs>
6: good is right? I think this is about 8, this is the best you've done,
7: well done good I'm hot now <laughs> oh, really hard, that's, that's the most challenging thing for me and it actually gets me really working um, it's a lot to ask my body to try and do that and mentally and just everything trying to work
6: oh. it's allowed us to do things that we weren't doing with patients in the past so with Jemima's injury, injured, she had come here yes we would stand and we'd try stepping probably with physios on a treadmill we probably taking two or three therapists whereas here we can take hundreds of steps i think we did 100 squats the other week in verse 20 which is yeah which is what you wouldn't be able to do in a normal session so thanks to your mind we're also sort of exploring and advancing what we what we do with this and we hope to think that in the future this is a whole database of information that if they can get more information about individuals and how the individuals are improving on it and taking more steps you can suddenly release papers saying well actually we've had a thousand patients using this and they started off taking this many steps and two years later they're taking this many steps.
7: Really I hope to get on some sort of para dressage team with one of the other one of my horses so I need to continue out with my competitions and training camps and things and so by using the exoskeleton it's keeping my fitness going um, and it's also teaching me where my body is and the stronger I'm getting in it and the more that the exoskeleton's helping me uh, the more strength I've got within riding and so by continuing to use this I hope that it's just going to continue that progression my fitness level my strength and my stamina is also massively increased and now i'm able to ride not one horse a day i can ride two horses a day
6: so hopefully the technology improvement can improve our service what we provide to people but most of all, it's improving people's rehab and their quality of life. And many more people, hopefully, can get the opportunity, like Jemima's had, to see improvements by using this.
0: 100 squats. Wow, that is truly remarkable. Isn't, isn't it amazing? It's remarkable. It, it gives you hope because that, the, the truth is, you know, Jemima had a dreadful accident, you know, and being paraplegic is the most extreme result of that awful absolutely, situation yes, yeah but but it also makes you wonder like what what it means for the human race like absolutely, what, yeah where is it the science fiction author in all of us starts to imagine a kind of um iron man like yeah, super yes. superhuman i mean I'm, I'm not trying to be in any way glib but that that does come
1: to mind doesn't absolutely. it absolutely i know we're trying to separate films yeah from these robots but also I, I can't
0: help but thinking about the
1: power loader in aliens and the big yeah, kind absolutely. of absolutely
0: yeah, it all seems possible though. When you hear amazing stories like that and and she's up on her she's not just walking and squatting, she's riding a horse. It's amazing. And potentially, you know, she feels confident enough to say that she might go to the paradressage. I mean, that's just an amazing thing. So, don't let anyone tell you that the robot revolution is all about, you know, us being pushed to one side or some horrible scenario. It's actually life affirming, empowering. Definitely. And it's all down, in this instance, to data. The, the fact that that machine is able to connect to a, an engineer who can then understand the health of the servos and the various components of that amazing exoskeleton, that's extraordinary. So its, it's health is being constantly monitored, the health of the suit, not just the lady in it. Thank you for listening to the Business Beyond Limits podcast brought to you by Vodafone Business with me, Jason Bradbury. And me, Stuart Witz. Thank you, Stuart. I've enjoyed every second of it. It's been a great fun today. Our thanks to all our guests at Hobbs Rehabilitation, Waste Shark and, of course, Cubot. To listen to more episodes of the series, please subscribe through your usual podcast app. And while you're there, we'd love you to leave us a review.